It's been said that every quilt tells a story, and it's so true. But I also believe every quilter has a story to tell. I wanted to hear about the people behind these wonderful quilts and thought you'd enjoy hearing about their lives also. Welcome to A Quilter's Life. Elisa Maurer has had some interesting jobs. The ones she enjoyed the most were at Sprint in the Fraud Department in KC Maker Studio and Fabric. Yes, I said fraud. Elisa had this important job to keep us safe from those that would take advantage of us. Now she works at KC Maker Studio and Fabric, where she welcomes customers and helps them find what they need. I'm thankful to Beth Goody, who works alongside Elisa, for sending Elisa my way. Elisa, thank you so much for joining me on A Quilter's Life. Thanks, Paula. It's really fun to be here. I want to start with where were you born and raised? I was born in Santa Barbara, California, and I lived there about a year. And then we moved to the Midwest in the Kansas City area. Lived in the Kansas City area for several years until about third grade. And then we moved to Northwest Missouri. And I lived there. I graduated college at Maryville, Missouri, at Northwest Missouri State, and then got a job in Kansas City right before I graduated. So I've been in the Midwest most of my life. Oh, wow. From the West to the Midwest. Yeah. I would have liked to have stayed at Santa Barbara probably because the ocean always calls me. Really? Yeah. I love the beaches. It's my favorite vacation. Huh. When you say the ocean calls you, have you been able to go back out to the Pacific or have you traveled to the Atlantic? I've done both. I've been to both. So I've been to San Diego and I've gone to Cabo, San Lucas, Mexico a couple of times. But I've just never been to Santa Barbara. I even remember the hospital that I was born at. It was called Cottage Hospital. I think someday I'd like to go there. My grandparents lived there for a while and my mom was a young single mom with me as an infant and it'd just be interesting to kind of see where they lived. I have lots of pictures of them on the beach doing fun things. Oh, neat. I hope you get to do that. Yeah. Do you have a special childhood memory? Most of my special childhood memories really revolve around my grandparents. They were a constant in my life. And I have one memory that I still have a piece of it today. I was about five and I was playing underneath the quilt frame that my grandmother was quilting a quilt for me on. And it's a light pink quilt with applique flowers on it. And she was quilting that while I played under the frame. My granddad had hooked up a frame that could raise and lower from their living room ceiling. And I still have that quilt today. It was my blanket on my bed until I went to college when I was 18. And it's beyond repair now, but I still have it on my shelf in my sewing room and I can see it every day. Wow. Now, when it was on the frame, did you know she was making it for you or did you find that out after it was made? I knew she was making it for me. Yeah, I think I might have even helped pick out colors. 
or she asked me the colors that I wanted. What a special relationship and such a special memory. Neat. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they were very, very special people. And just whenever I think of grandparents, I think of that's what they should be. Just like they were. Wow. You mentioned that you started working when you were in school. In high school, I worked at the county courthouse. And the man that was the county collector also had a bookkeeping service. So I worked at both places. And until I was a sophomore in college, I would work during Christmas breaks and summers in college at that time. But then in high school, I would work after school. Or when I was a senior, we had a program called COE where you could work during the school day or part of the day anyway. So I did that. But... I usually held multiple jobs. I was also a waitress in high school and I was a lifeguard at the pool. And when I got to college, I bugged the local bank practically daily until they finally relented and hired me in their bookkeeping department. I had a full schedule at school and I worked at least 20 hours a week, if not more. And I was a favorite for the ladies that worked at the bank to have me work for them on Saturday mornings at the drive-up bank. They didn't like working Saturday mornings. So I was a poor college student. I was happy to take that shift for them. But it got me really great experience. So I had a job before I graduated college in the Kansas City area with an insurance company. And that job really only lasted three months because the company was bought out and moved to Texas, but they paid me a bonus to stay. And I got a job at Whirlpool after that. And then that closed. So I worked at Commerce Bank Shares, the bank holding company for about five years. And then I went on to Sprint where I worked there for about 20 years. And my last job there was my favorite one. I worked in fraud. And I mitigated the fraud on the online portal for customers. And I just love that job. It was juicy. You got to hear all the dirt and see all the stuff, the bad guys, the great lengths they will go to. It was fun to stop them. Oh, wow. My mind is racing with the fraud. There is so much... It's just unbelievable what people will do. If people would work that hard at a job, it would be mm -hmm. amazing what they could accomplish. Exactly. That's what I would always think. Like put this much effort into something that's legal. Did you have a job after that? So after working at Sprint, I was off for a while. And then I started working at Loft the clothing store, which I liked. I worked there part-time and I liked that. And then I went to Nordstrom and from Nordstrom, I went to Casey Maker Studio and Fabrics in Mission, Kansas. And that is the best store. I love working there. That's got to be right up there next to working in fraud at Sprint. But it's just a different kind of fun. I love the creativity that goes on there. And I love helping customers with 
their projects and selecting fabrics and the greatest thing that a customer can do and I've had several people do this and it feels so good is they will complete a project that I help them with and they'll come into the store and bring it or they'll come in and show me a picture of it completed and that's so fun and you know just to see how happy they are it's very gratifying as you're helping them pick out the fabric do you picture in your mind what it looks like and then when they bring it in you can remember that or do you not have a clue? No, I picture in my mind what it will look like. The thing is, is that I help so many people all the time. I don't always remember them <laughs> when they come back, but I'm still happy that they are showing me. But a lot of times I do remember, but sometimes I don't. And there was a lady that made a bag that came in and showed me a picture of her bag and it was beautiful. And at the time I was like, Oh, I, I don't quite recall this. And then later on, I remember her because she bought the last of the bolt of this beautiful canvas. And then I remembered her later, but unfortunately I didn't remember when she was in the store, but as you come in more and more often and I help you more and more then I get more acquainted with you and remember better and that's fun we have our regulars and then I love it when we have brand new people to come in just happen to drive by or saw us on some social media and so I get to give them the tour that's always fun too oh wow I'm picturing as a new person walking into your store you greeting them I haven't heard of someone giving a tour of a shop yeah, I will show them where we have our designer fabrics and where we have our wide backs and our clearance and our bag making and the cross stitch and embroidery and garments. And <laughs> so I try to not overwhelm them, but hit the high points just to get them acclimated, whatever their interest is, so they can kind of gravitate towards their area of interest. So that it's helpful to show them where the different areas are. So then they can start looking. But a lot of times people are like, I wish I had more time or they feel overwhelmed because we have so many options and things available. So they said they'll have to come back, make another trip. They'll probably find more things that they love. Yeah. Well, with your background in banking and book work, I almost expected you to be working in the background, but you're getting to be out with the customers. Mm-hmm. Yep, I'm with the customers and I love that interaction. And I discovered how much I loved that when I worked at Loft after I left Sprint. And I actually just recently started working at Loft again. So I have two part-time jobs, one at Casey Makers and one at Loft. But I love the interaction with the customer and greeting them and talking with them and getting to know them. That's part of the fun of it and it also helps me help them better if I get to know them a little bit. Mm -hmm. Well at Casey Maker Studio you've got to meet Beth Goody and I had a wonderful interview with her. Tell me about meeting Beth. Beth is awesome. She's so talented. She's a talented quilter. It's she handles the social media for the store and she does an excellent job at that. 
I met her, I believe it was, she will host some of our quilting retreat days. And I believe that's the first time I met her was at one of those when she came into the store and was talking about the quilting retreat items, activities and things like that. And she introduced herself that she was hosting that. And that was her role with the store. Part of her relationship with the store is hosting some of those quilting retreat days and then also handling the social media. So we just kind of hit it off. She's very sweet. I really enjoyed her interview with you. That was interesting too. I learned some things about her that were fun. Well, thanks for listening. Yeah, it was a good one. I've listened to a few more since then. I have a list of podcasts that I like, so. Oh, great. Where are you living now and how did you get there from where you were born and raised? I live in Olathe, so I moved to Kansas City from Maryville, Missouri, where I was going to college. In the late 80s, I moved to Kansas City and then lived in Overland Park. So I've kind of lived in, not in Kansas City, but in the suburbs my whole time that I've been here. And I currently live in Olathe, and I moved to Olathe to move in with my life partner, Bob. And we've been together almost 12 years now, and we have a nice life. I appreciate him very much in that he's supportive of my quilting hobby and helped me to redo my sewing room. He's made me a ironing surface that fits over my ironing board that's 24 by 60 inches. I don't know what I would do without that. So I appreciate that he is very supportive and he likes the things that I make and he's learned a lot about quilting. And so he will have his eagle eyes looking at something I've made and he'll say, oh, you didn't miss any points this time or, you know, offer, you know, encouragement in that way. He's like, you're getting really good at this, Elisa. You should sell your quilts. (laughs) It's great to have that support. It is. Yeah, for sure. Is there anything else about your family you would like to share? I have two younger sisters. So I'm the oldest, and then we're all pretty close in age. I have a middle sister that's two years younger than me, and a youngest sister, she's three years younger than me. My two sisters are only 11 months apart. My middle sister lives in Texas, and my youngest sister lives in Colorado. And my mom passed away in 2016 of cancer, which that is a terrible, horrible disease. And I miss her a lot, but I got to spend the last couple of weeks with her because I had left Sprint at that time. And so I think that that was a good thing. And that's about it. So sorry about your mom. Thank you. It sounds like you and your sisters are pretty spread out. Do you get to see each other 
we don't get to see each other very often. No, we're not really very close. Yeah, that happens as we grow up and move out. Yeah. And part of it is after my mom passed away, that happened that it created more distance. So before we always would always get together to visit my mom. So it makes it a little different when you don't have that. Yeah. Besides quilting, are there other crafts that you have done in the past or that you do now? Back in the day, I did cross-stitch. I did these elaborate patterns. The design company was Lavender and Lace. Very elaborate. A lot of times they had like angels or things like that with the folds in their gowns and things like that. And I made a beautiful wedding bride and groom from that pattern for my best friend when she got married. Now cross-stitch is having a resurgence and I tried it again not too long ago, but my eyes are not the same as they were. So I used to stitch on linen and I tried to do that again. And it's like, no, I'm going to have to go back to eight o'clock instead. <laughs> but I like cross stitch. I used to do toll painting. Do you know what toll painting is? Mm -hmm. But I used to do that. And I actually taught classes at a craft store like a Hobby Lobby type of a place, but I don't remember exactly the name of the store. I think it's one that is no longer in business, but I taught toll painting and I made a lot of things and I would sell them at craft events. I've done a lot of DIY, like in my house, just making things, picture frames and all kinds of things like that. I've done knitting and crochet, although I'm not very good at that. So I don't really like it that much, but my grandmother taught me to crochet. But my crochet always ends up to be diagonal <laughs> for some reason. <laughs> I took a home ec class in high school and I made a pillow, a cat pillow that was looked like a cat. And I won first prize for that cat pillow, but I wasn't bit by the sewing bug at all. Until I took a quilt class at a local quilt store in Olathe. And I really enjoy that. And I've lately started doing bags, making different kinds of bags. And I'm working on one right now that's going to be a shop sample at the store. So I'm the pressure's on to make it look really, really nice. <laughs> So I've done a lot of things that have been creative. I even tried watercolor paints and stuff. My mom was a great artist. I mean, she could paint beautiful sceneries and she liked to do like dilapidated barns and out in fields and things like that. One year she etched onto a, I think it's plastic, Christmas ornament in the shape of a heart the engagement picture of my ex-husband and I when we were engaged and she etched that into the plastic Christmas ornament and it looked just like the picture. So I'm not as talented as she was, but she wasn't into quilting like I am and like my grandmother was. My grandmother was the quilter, but she was an artist too. And I think I get some of that creativity both from my grandmother and my mom. 
It's interesting how we have our different strengths and they're all so wonderful. Mm-hmm. Elisa, do you have other hobbies? Bob and I really enjoy sporting KC, the MLS soccer team in Kansas City. We enjoy watching that. We used to have season tickets, but now we just watch it from home. But we follow the team and the games and stuff. So it's something we enjoy doing and we do it together. I like to read. I always have a book going as well. So I would say that's my hobbies. Have fun. Yeah, quilting kind of consumes my time for now. I just, I get up early in the morning, usually around five, and I'll go to my sewing room first thing, and then I can sew something before I go to work. So when you're sewing, do you get to listen to a podcast or an audio book? I will listen to podcasts. I need to use my earbuds more because I share a wall with my daughter lives with us and her room is right next to mine. Although nothing really wakes her up, but I try to keep it low. And if I have it low, then I can't hear it because of my sewing machine. Yeah. <laughs> but I need to use my earbuds more often because I can hear with my earbuds, but I enjoy listening to several podcasts, although I don't always think of doing it. I just will come into my room and just turn on my sewing machine and go. But I have not tried listening to audiobooks. I feel like I wouldn't catch all the detail because I would be concentrating on sewing. Yeah. That's why I don't have a YouTube playing or anything in the background because I would want to see it. Do your hobbies somehow show up in your quilting? Like I haven't made a sporting KC quilt. I've thought about it, but finding the fabric is difficult. I made some masks during COVID of sporting KC. I was able to locate some then, but, and I have not cross-stitched on a quilt. So no, (laughs) I wouldn't say. I just focus on the pattern. I'm a rule follower and a pattern follower. I don't veer too much from the pattern that's interesting like I said we're all made so different and I'm one that my first thought is how can I change the pattern and you're Mm -hmm. the one that wants to follow the pattern that's so neat Mm -hmm. I'm planning on teaching a bag class at Casey Maker the owner already announced it and so I've kind of been had to sort of cobble together from just different YouTubes and stuff like that, a bag that I like. That was quite a struggle. I mean, and it was an accomplishment because I made one, but I have improvements I want to do on it, make it a little bit bigger for sure. But that was outside my box. I wasn't not used to doing that. I'm used to you hand me a pattern and I can read and I can follow the directions. That's my comfort zone. But I got outside of my comfort zone, so I'm proud of that. That's great. Are there certain pattern designers that you like to follow? Well, right now I'm making bags and I'm really into noodle head bags. 
And I made Biani bags before, and those are nice. But like pattern designers, I mostly don't necessarily follow a pattern designer. I follow fabric designers. Like I love Crystal Manning. She's in the Kansas City area. And I like Corey Yoder. I love Ruby Star Society. Allison Glass. All the modern type of quilt fabrics. But pattern designers. I just look at a pattern and decide whether I like it or not. It doesn't really matter who. Although I do love Quilty Love. I will say I have an exception. Quilty Love by Emily Dennis. I've made two of her patterns twice. And they're great. The Expanding Stars and Quilty Hearts. Both of those I've made two times. Because they're such well-written patterns. And they go together pretty quickly. And I have a collection of hers that I have not made yet. I have a collection of a lot of patterns that I have not made yet. I think every quilter does. <laughs> more patterns than time. Yeah, if we could just add more time. So I took the long way to answer your question, but yeah, I do have one. <laughs> one. <laughs> Tell me about who introduced you to quilting. Well, you mentioned your grandmother. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's who introduced me to quilting. And I had a quilt top, a double wedding ring quilt top that she and my great grandmother had pieced, but had never finished. And my mom had given this brown paper bag to me with this quilt top in it and a shoebox filled with the templates that they had used out of the backs of Hallmark cards. And some of the scrap pieces and stuff, some units they didn't incorporate into the quilt top. The top was completely finished. And my goal, that's why I took the quilting class, was I wanted to finish that quilt top that my grandmother and great-grandmother had started. So I took the quilting class at the quilt store in Aletha, and it was machine quilting which I knew going in that it was machine quilting, but I thought I need to start somewhere. I just enjoyed the machine quilting. And I wanted to have that quilt top hand quilted because that's what my grandmother did. So I did find a woman on Etsy who I had to trust her. I interviewed her probably seven times and she had me pay in advance and I shipped it to the East Coast and she hand quilted it and sent it back to me. And it was beautiful. It's my prized possession. And she stitched an ivy design in it that represents the four generations. My great-grandmother, my grandmother, my mother, and myself. And I look at this quilt every day and I see fabrics that my grandmother used to make me and my sisters and my cousins clothes. The quilter that quilted it said there was all kinds of different fabrics in there, shirtings, men's ties, drapes, feed sacks, regular like dress fabrics, things like that. And she said it did a number on her fingers, but it turned out beautiful. And I'm glad I took the leap of faith and trusted her with this because I couldn't be more pleased. She tried to teach me how to hand quilt and sent me a stencil and a hoop and 
the needle and thread, like a little kit. The hand quilting, just not my style. Not fast enough for me. (laughs) (laughs) And to try to learn on that special quilt would have been difficult. Yes. I mean, it took her three months to do it. And it would have taken me years. Yeah. But to send it off had to been, well, you had to wonder if you were ever going to see it again. Yes. And if I saw it again, what kind of condition? I mean, was she a good quilter? Like I said, I interviewed her like seven times and she sent me pictures of her work and she does quilt restorations and things like that. And she had a legitimate website aside from her Etsy shop where she sold quilt tops and things like that. But you're right. I was afraid I would never see that quilt top again. Some part of me, I felt better after the seven interviews, but still, but we're still in contact today. And I got that done in 2016, shortly after my mom passed away. Her name's Judy. And we still are in contact today. Great. But that has to pull in other ties if that was around the time your mom passed away. Yeah. When she was in the hospital, I had taken the quilt top to her. One thing I regret that I didn't ask her, and I'm not sure that she would have even known, was who this quilt was actually intended for. Because I don't know that. My grandmother gave it to my mom. So I don't know if she intended it to be for her or what, but my mom's not here to ask now. (laughs) Yeah. Wow. Hadn't even thought about that. Mm -hmm. Usually the double wedding rings were meant for wedding gifts and my mom never married. So I don't know, maybe that's why it went unfinished. But I'm just making assumptions. I have really no clue. Yeah. Boy, you have a mystery. I have a mystery. I do. One that will remain unsolved. Yeah. (laughs) I just tried to put another piece in there and that knowing it had fabrics from so many different aspects of her life. Yes. Yeah. My grandmother was a seamstress. Some of these, I'm sure, are fabrics left over from customers, too. She used to make me clothes from the scraps that I still have in a box in my garage. I have my baby clothes that my grandmother made me. And there's one that's a white fur coat with a little bonnet and a muff that was left over from when she made a coat for a woman when she lived in California. And so... I was wearing that one day, and so my grandmother told me the story. This lady at the store said, well, isn't that a pampered little puss? And so my grandmother made me a yellow dress that has a white band on the bottom with an embroidered kitten chasing yarn, and it says pampered little puss on it. (laughs) (laughs) So my grandmother was funny. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds like it. When you think of all the quilts, whether it's one that you made or somebody else made, do you have a favorite quilt? The double wedding ring from my grandmother and great-grandmother. It's my prized possession. I love that quilt. It's beautiful. It's bright. It's 
has all the memories of clothes that she had made in it. I love this quilt. It's my absolute favorite that I have. So when you're quilting, do you ever think of, especially ones you're planning to give away, do you ever think that someone will have that kind of memory for this quilt you're making? I hadn't thought of that before. What I do do, and this might seem kind of weird, but when I'm making a quilt, I need to have who it's for in my mind because while I'm making it, I think of them. And when I give it to them, it means something. I feel like it gives it more meaning and that it was meant for them. I have made quilts before and given them to somebody when I didn't have the intended person in mind, the person that received it. I didn't have them in mind while I made it. And it felt to me like an empty gift. I don't think that they felt that way because they wouldn't know but it felt like an empty gift to me. It needs to be full of love. Mm-hmm. But I don't usually use scraps of, I know that's not true. I'm working on a bunch of scrap quilts right now. So <laughs> that's my theme right now, but I have not previously done scrap quilts. I've mostly bought new fabric and made them. I have such a list of Babies, I need to make quilts for that. I haven't gotten to a point where I could just make a quilt to make a quilt. But I do agree that having that person in mind while I'm making it, I feel connected to them, even though many of them I have to send off and I haven't gotten to meet that baby yet. Right. Yeah, it makes a difference. Mm -hmm. While you're working on your quilts, is there a tool that you love? Yes, I am always reaching for, and this is for flying geese or for folded corners, my Simple Folded Corners Ruler by Doug Lico of Antler Quilt Design. I have the mini, which I use the most, and I have the regular size for larger ones, but most of the quilts I make have flying geese or folded corners, so I use that all the time. And I thought I'd lost my mini one time and I went and bought another one. And of course I found it, but that's okay because I put the extra in my to go sewing bag <laughs> where I have duplicates of everything. So I can just pick up and go to sew days. But I also really like my Biani stiletto. That thing has like the end of it, the pointy end is kind of rough. So it really grips and it's really good like for putting on binding and things like that. Huh. When you mentioned that you make a lot of flying geese, I never thought to ask people if they have a favorite block. Yeah, I love star blocks. But I love churned ash blocks because that reminds me of my grandmother. But for me, I love making star blocks any star block now some people like each step of the process do you look forward to a certain step or do you like each step along the way i like the piecing part and seeing the blocks come to life that's the part that i like the most my least favorite is 
what I think is boring, like putting on borders or sashing, <laughs> piecing a backing, things like that. But I love piecing the blocks. Interesting. Because I always thought of piecing as piecing, but you like certain piecing rather than the sashing or borders. Hmm. Right. I like seeing the block come to life with all the colors and everything. That's what I really enjoy. Describe your worst quilting experience. Oh my goodness, I have a bad one. I took that quilting class and we made a sampler quilt. And my top turned out great. I was really pleased with it. And I went to have it quilted because that wasn't part of the class, wasn't. <laughs> Even though I took the class to learn to quilt, the quilting part was not actually part of the class. That was a different class, but I paid to have somebody quilt it. This lady that was an acquaintance through Bob. And when she came to get my quilt to take it to be quilted, and she said, my quilt will not win any awards. How so awful. I just said, I'm not entering it into a competition. But that was my very first quilt. and. That was a hard thing. I love that quilt. I still have it and it's on my shelf and it looks good. She did a good job quilting, but she did quilting for people that entered their quilts into quilt shows and won major awards. And she won awards for her own quilts and things like that. So she was an award-winning quilter, but my quilt would not win any award. <laughs> it won an award for me because I finished it. I started something and I finished it. <laughs> I'm so sorry that happened to you, but I'm glad you didn't stop quilting because of it. I got a new quilter. That's what I did. I found somebody who's very gentle on new people and she's still quilts for me now. I haven't sent anything to her for about a year, but I had a pile stacked up. But she is very good and she will give constructive, I'm not going to say criticism because it doesn't come across as criticism, but she'll say, hey, I had a little seam pop. I had to do a little extra quilting on this area because you had a seam pop because you had an eighth inch seam instead of a quarter inch seam. You need to watch your seam allowance and make sure you're consistent and that you have at least a quarter of an inch. And if you don't, then you need to reinforce the seam. So I learned to check all my seams before I sent the quilt off to her. So I don't have a pop seam when she loads it onto the machine. Things like that, that help a new quilter. And that's a great tip. And we're not even down to the tip question yet. <laughs> yeah. Elisa, why do you think you make quilts rather than spending your time doing something else? I love how when I am making quilts, my mind is set free. It's just, I can't think of anything else. I'm just focusing on making the quilt and I just feel very relaxed and, and free when I'm sewing. It's the best feeling. And it's like, who doesn't want to feel good? <laughs> so I sew all the time. <laughs> Well, it's amazing. I know you have to love it 
because who else would get up at 5 a.m. to sew? Exactly. (laughs) And who do you usually make your quilts for? I've made quilts for family and friends, and I have a lot that I've kept that I just use around the house and some that I have stacked up in my sewing room on top of my Kalex bookcase. I've made a few tops and donated them to be finished for Kansas City Hospice. It's only been a couple of quilts that I've done that for. But yeah, just pretty much family and friends or myself. Mm-hmm. That's why Bob thinks I need to sell my quilts because <laughs> I'm getting quite a collection. <laughs> Do you have a special project going on right now? I'm working on Scrappy Irish Chain, and it's a quilt along that's hosted by Corey Yoder. It requires almost a thousand two and a half inch squares. And my goal was to have no repeats in the two and a half inch squares, just for my scraps. And I got to about 850 two and a half inch squares with no repeats. And then I had to bust into some newer fabric to get the rest of it. But there's a lot of memories of quilts that I've made in those scraps. And some of them I don't remember ever using. There's a beautiful piece of Essex linen that's kind of gold, like metallic. I don't remember ever using that in anything, but I had some of it (laughs) in my scrap bid. But most of it I do remember. And I remember the quilt I made and who I made it for. Isn't it fun to have those memories come back as we're quilting? Yeah. Yeah, it's fun. And I learned a technique from Corey on how to pin your pieces so you can keep them straight and not have a piece go stray and not be in its right place. So nice technique that she has. She has a YouTube on. So it makes it go faster too. Nice. I've just finished up a double Irish chain, but with having the same colors, I could do strips and put it together that way. But I can't imagine doing each individual square. Yeah. It's each individual square. But it goes pretty fast using the pinning technique that Corey has on her YouTube. It's not bad at all. I just do two columns at a time, alternating. It's like nine by nine. So it's an 81 patch. So I have nine columns. And her technique helps you keep all that organized and straight. And I've used it. I made a mini duffel bag by Knot and Thread Design. And it was a patchwork duffel bag. And I used the same technique to keep my pieces straight. I have a project board that's 18 by 18. And I have all of my stacks of two and a half inch squares out all the time divided by color. So I just pull from the top of the stack. I don't fuss too much about moving things around. It's good to have a process. You need that. Mm-hmm. Can you describe your sewing space? So it's a spare bedroom in our home. It's fairly small. It's probably like 10 by 12 or something like that. 
I have a five by five unit from Ikea called a Kalex. So it has 25, 12 inch, 12 and a half inch or so cubbies that I have bins in and the bins, you know, I have tools and fabric and so I have fabric everywhere. And I have my ironing board in the middle of the room and I have a cutting table against one wall. So Calyx unit against one wall, my cutting table against another wall, my sewing machine against another wall. And then I have my printer and my laptop and my computer cabinet on the other end of the room. And then in my closet, I have bins where I have my scraps by color. And my stash by color is normally in the basement, but I'm working on another project where I need my stash by color in my sewing room. So my sewing room is kind of a wreck with all of those bins in the middle of the room. But it's a functional space. It serves its purpose. And Bob helped me to design it. We did a layout in the garage <laughs> with cardboard templates and chalk on the garage floor to kind of get the most efficient work configuration, I guess. And it's worked out really well. I'm happy with it. And neat. So you didn't have to put up everything and then move it all around again. You had a plan in place. Made a plan. I cleaned out the entire room, emptied it. I had a quilter's garage sale where I made several thousands of dollars because I had accumulated too much stuff as a brand new quilter. I didn't know any better. I used some of that money to buy the new furniture for my sewing room. I would highly recommend a quilter's garage sale if you have that much stash to de-stash. It went really well. I had people driving an hour and a half, two hours away. And I didn't sell it at rock bottom prices. It was probably 25% off retail. And you advertised it on social media? Yeah, Facebook Marketplace. I didn't give my address until somebody responded and said they were coming. And then I would give them my address. I didn't want my address being out there. No. <laughs> for everybody. The only mistake I made, I would say, is I ran it myself. I was alone. So it got really busy. So I would recommend have another person to help. So you don't have so many people waiting around for you. I didn't cut any yardage. Everything was already pre-cut. Or they had to buy whatever the yardage was. I wasn't sub-cutting anything for them. Yeah. But that's how I got my furniture for my sewing room. <laughs> Yeah, I cleaned out the entire room, emptied it, and sold the extra stuff, and then bought the new furniture and just organized it. Wow. Do you have a quilting tip? So when I first started quilting, in the quilting class that I took, we made six and a half inch squares, but they were simple, like rail fence and... Friendship star, nothing real hard. And another person that I had kind of gotten acquainted with through a Facebook group said I should try Moda blockheads. They were six and a half inch unfinished squares. Well, their six and a half unfinished blocks were a lot different than the beginning quilting book <laughs> that I used. Lots of little pieces and my blocks came out wonky. And there were some nice people 
in the group that said, hey, you know, are you starching your fabric? So they recommend I starch my fabric before I cut it to the consistency of paper. So it's kind of stiff. And that really made a huge difference. And when people are having problems with their blocks not being the right size or being wonky, I always recommend that as one of the first things to try because it improves the sewing and cutting accuracy tremendously, in my opinion. It really helped me a lot. And I would say another important thing for being accurate is to find a brand of quilting rulers that you like and stick with that brand rather than mixing brands within a project because not all of them measure out the same. And I made that mistake in some of my first blocks and they were not accurate. And once I figured out that it was because I was switching rulers, then that made a huge difference as well. It amazed me to learn that not every inch is the same as somebody else's inch. I know. It defies reason. (laughs) What can you count on then? (laughs) They always say not to use your mat, too, for measuring because it's not accurate. Yeah. I have laid them out to see if the lines are the same or not to double check. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Good tip. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Was there anything else you wanted to share with us? I would just say if you're a creative type and you haven't tried quilting before, take a basic class at your local quilt store or you can watch YouTube videos to learn how to quilt and see if it's something that you like. Visit a quilt shop and ask questions. You just might find a lifelong hobby. I think so many of us started with that first quilt class and yes, we just fall in love with it. So that's a great tip. Thanks. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you so much for spending your valuable time with me. I know you are so busy and I really, really appreciate getting to hear your story. Well, thanks for having me. It's been really fun to talking to you and just sharing my experience with quilting. It's been wonderful. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. can find more stories on aquilterslife.com or subscribe on your favorite podcast player so each episode will be downloaded automatically. Also, I want to hear about you and your wonderful quilts. Please contact me, Paula Chamberlain, through the website to set up an interview. And as always, thanks for listening. <music>